Welcome to Western Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westernroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Amen. Well, I'm excited to jump into the Word this morning. I told my kids, I said, Daddy hasn't preached since July 7th. And I said, I'm ready to go, and I hope that it's not too over burdening or overwhelming for the people uh, in terms of the delivery of it. But I'm going to pace myself, and, and God has a message for you this morning. I want you to know that. Um, and before we jump into the word, some of us just need to break the ice a bit. Maybe it's your first time. You're like, who's this guy? Because he talks too fast for me. So by way of introduction, um, we're just going to play a little game, if that's okay. And no, it's not okay. So... Um, The game is simply called this, do it yourself or don't do it yourself, all right? So DIY or DDIY or double DIY, if you're Aussie, you have abbreviations for everything. But let's go to the first picture and I want your responses uh, because some of us are like, I got this. And you like, do it yourself. Others are going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, no way, I'm going to, I'm not, don't do it yourself. Right, so if you're a do-it-yourselfer and you want this kind of, like, you're like, that's no problem for me. Let me see your hands real quick. Okay, I know who to call when the church bathroom in the men's (laughs) is especially clogged, right? So that was a good number of people. We're looking for people to help clean the church. We're just going to take, you know, put those hands up again, right? But there are many others who wouldn't. Next picture. Some of you are like, I cannot touch the espresso machine. I can't make coffee. It always comes out bad. If you're the don't do it yourself or for coffee, let me see your hand. Right? I see that hand. I see that hand. Uh, then on the other side, if you're a I'll do it myself, let me see your hands. All right. So when Weston Cafe opens in the future, we're going to recruit you as our baristas. All right. Um, next picture. da 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 No, 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 don't get confused with the cuteness of the baby. It's about the diaper, right? Some of you are like, I've never touched a diaper and I never will. And I know some some dads who are like that. Uh, But I know uh, some others have no problem. For me, I don't don't mind it. It's messy, it's dirty, but I I think I clean it up really well and I don't mind it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for the diaper, but you kind of get where, where this game is going perhaps. But the next one dinner, right? Uh, I know between my wife and I, I could get it done. I could DIY it myself, but at the end of it, she always has a comment and lets me know that it's just not tasty. It's bland. It, it's raw still. It's not cooked enough. I didn't saute it enough. And I'm like, okay, the next time you could just do it yourself. So that's something that I still struggle with, you know, uh, I, I think I can do a decent job, but some of us, I know you're great cooks, and you're like, I'll do it myself, thank you. Others of us, you're like, eh, preferably not, or could we do takeout, right? Uh, next picture. If you like taking out the trash and you want to do that yourself, put your hand up. <laughs> right? Some people are good, and I, I admire that about you. I hate doing this part, but I still do it because I'd hate for my wife to have to do it. Uh, And we have just two more. The next one. Some of you are like, Pastor, really? Snow? Some of you like the idea of Christmas in July, but not snow, right? Who here loves to shovel snow? 
and you do it yourself. Yeah, I love it. I actually do love snow. And then the last one, groceries. You might like to cook, but hate doing groceries. I don't know if that's possible. Who, who enjoys groceries? Let me see your hand. Right? My wife says it's therapeutic. There's something about walking up and down the aisles and just looking at spices and sauces and things. Whereas I'm like, give me the list. How quickly can I get in and out of the store? I don't mind it, but it's a very different approach. You see, these things that we looked at, they're all subjective to you and your preferences and your personality. They're subjective. There are things that you need to do yourself and that you like to do yourself. And then there's an appropriate moment where you don't do it yourself anymore. There are things in life, especially the life of faith, where we, de- we need to do things ourselves. No one else can say yes to Jesus for me but me. It's a personal confession of faith. Amen. No one could do that for me. That's something I need to do myself. But then there are seasons and moments where it's appropriate where I realize, Jonathan, you cannot do this on your own. Don't do it yourself. Double D-I-Y. Don't do it yourself. And I've said this before and I will still continue to say it. God will do for you what you can't do for yourself. That's a true statement. But here's another true statement. God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. A lot of us, I say a lot of us, it's not a prophetic word, but perhaps a lot of us, we sit back. We've made God aware of our prayer request, but now we kind of just sit back and wait. And we just think God's going to do it for me because he could do, you know, great things. Yes, he can do great things. But I have a hard time understanding or believing that God will do something that you could do yourself. You know, it's not in my text, but I just want to add this quick story from the Bible. There's the woman with the issue of blood. And the Bible says about her, she did everything she could. She spent all the money she had, and she didn't get better. In fact, she only got worse. So when you've done all that you can do, believe God that now he can do what you can't do for yourself. You see, she was very proactive. She was proactive in that she went after her healing, but maybe sought, you know, doctors and when medicine, when all that couldn't help. Who did she chase after? Jesus. And the faith, you know, it wasn't that she tugged hard enough on the garment that Jesus said, whoa, who, who, who pulled that he said, woman, it was your faith that has made you well. And so know that it's faith inside of you that has to be activated. So there are things that you need to do. But then there are things where when you can't do anything else, God has to step in. But here's the reality. Some of us reach that moment where it's supposed to flip the switch and now allow God. But we still hang on to the problem and the situation. And God's saying... Like, tag me in. I'm ready to go. But we keep holding on, trying to figure out, trying to make it happen, trying to make it work when God's saying, let go and let God. And so this morning, with God's help, I want to speak to you in a message. I'm not going to give you the title quite yet because I want us to find it in Scripture first. And then we're gonna, I'll let you know the title. But if you have your Bible, would you turn 
very second book of the Bible, in the beginning, Exodus chapter 17. And would you stand for the reading of God's word as we honor him and his word, if you are able to this morning. Exodus chapter 17. We'll have it on the screen, New Living Translation. Exodus 17, beginning at verse 8. And here's what it says. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. And here's the result, verse 13. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that the book of Hebrews tells us that it is a double-edged sword and it cuts straight through bone and marrow, getting to the core. And Father, as we read your word and consider what you want to say to us, I thank you that it cuts through the noise in our life, all the facades that we have put up. Lord, and it, and it ministers right to our point of need this morning. I thank you that your word never returns void, but you always accomplish it always accomplishes what you set it out to accomplish in our lives. And so now I simply ask for your anointing upon me that I might speak your word in the authority of Jesus' name, but also with the humility of this calling in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Moses, this is a story where we're looking at Moses as leading God's people. Moses was uniquely called of God to do something specific. And some of you might know kind of Moses' story, but I don't want to assume everyone knows Moses' story. So I'm just going to take you for a quick walk down the Moses memory lane, if that's okay. And Moses was called by God to lead God's people out of Egypt, and what that Egypt represented was slavery. They were there for 430 years. So it's not just like a short season in, in Israel's history. We're talking 430 years of slavery. This was a big deal for Israel. They were worked hard and worked very hard. They were, they were oppressed as God's people. And Moses... Uh, from, from early on, was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he grew up in, Phar in Pharaoh's palace. He grew up in Egypt with the Egyptian people in the palace, though, of Pharaoh. And Exodus 2, verses 11 to 14, we're not going to read it. I'm just highlighting some of those things. But 
Moses, it's interesting, though he was raised and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, somehow he knew that the Hebrews were his people. And I don't know if it was innate or someone was, you know, informing him of the history and what had happened, but he knew. And this particular day, he sees the cruelty of the Egyptians toward his people, and um, he actually ends up killing the Egyptian who was beating up one of the Hebrews. And then he hides him in the sand, thinking no one was watching. The next day, he goes out again, and Moses sees now two Hebrews fighting. And to the one who starts the fight, he's like, hey, why are you beating up your brother, so to speak? A fellow Hebrew. And he goes, oh, are you going to kill me like you did the other guy? And Moses got, he was afraid. He's like, oh no, I thought no one saw that. And he flees. So he spent 40 years in Egypt growing up. And at age 40, now he flees to Midian where he's a shepherd. But I thank God that wherever we might run and try to hide, God still knows your address and God still knows how to find you. Doesn't matter how long it's been, God still knows where you're at. And so one day, it's an ordinary day for Moses, he sees this burning bush, but the bush is not being consumed. You know, I'm, I think that would catch our eye, right? Like, why isn't this bush burning? It, I mean, I see the fire, but the bush is still there. And so as he approaches, the voice calls out to him, Moses, Moses. Remove your sandals for where you're standing is holy ground. And God begins to speak into Moses. And I don't know where he thought he was in his life. He just probably thought, I'm going to stay here for as long as I can till I figure out what's next, perhaps. But guess what? God came and found him. And God spoke to him and was about to reveal his calling and his purpose in life. You see, Moses maybe didn't know. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you don't know what, what your purpose is in life. Maybe you're unsure of why you've experienced what you've experienced, but what led you to this point. I want you to know if you're here within the sound of my voice, God maybe wants to speak to you. Maybe on the podcast, someone's going to listen to this and God wants to speak to you as well. But God had a specific calling for Moses. Say specific. God knows how to be very specific with us. This morning, in a couple of minutes, we're going to hear a testimony of specifically what God has done in Marsha's life. And, uh, and this is the Sunday that God wanted it to be shared. And so we're going to hear an incredible testimony in a couple of minutes about the goodness of God. But you see, Moses sees this burning bush, and in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, you'd think like Moses is like, okay, okay, God, this is, this is amazing. No, Moses had every excuse in the book. And in chapter 3, he's trying to tell God, like, no, like can't, can, can we do this another way? Is, like, is, is this, do I have, is it me? Does it really have to be me? And in chapter 4, God not only has to call him in chapter 3, but chapter 4, God has to show him his power as well. Because Moses is thinking, I'm, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to go back to Egypt. I'm not going to go back to Pharaoh. They know who I am. They know what, even what I did. I don't want to be accused of killing the Egyptian and then hiding him in the sand. Like There are all these memories and thoughts, I'm sure, going around in his head. But guess what? When God calls you, you can run, but you can't hide. You know, think of Jonah 
He went the opposite way, but God has a way of just reminding us of the calling on our lives. And, and if you feel uncomfortable this morning, I submit this to you that it's not maybe the breakfast you ate. Uh, it's not maybe the, the sound of my voice. Some of you might be annoyed of my voice already. That's okay. I just think maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And maybe like Jonah and maybe like Moses, you're starting to want to run the other way. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart. And that's what he is doing if you feel maybe something stirring in your heart already this morning. Um, he goes, you know, God, he's uniquely called. God's showing him his power to say, listen, when they ask, like, did God really call you? Why are you really here? He said, everything I've shown you, I want you to show them. I just want to walk through some of those verses. Exodus 3, verse 9 and 10. Look, this is God speaking to Moses. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, look, very specific. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Remember, DIY or double DIY. There are some things you must do yourself. But there are other things that you cannot do yourself. You'll need others as well. But God was uniquely calling him for a specific purpose. Exodus 4 verse 2. Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? And Moses' response was, a shepherd's staff. And so the title of my message this morning is, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What is in your hand? You know, don't, don't show some of some, I saw a pen pop up. You're like, good, you're taking notes. That's awesome. But what is in your hand? What is in your life? What is in your possession? What are the tools? How has God equipped you for life? What are the things that you're passionate about? And I believe the Lord is asking you today, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? You see, David didn't use Saul's armor to defeat Goliath. What did David use? The slingshot. And then he collected the five smooth stones. Why? Because that's what was in his hand. And that's what, how he knew how to fight. You know, this is how I know how to fight. You know, there's a song. This is how I fight my battles. You know, maybe in your head when you hear that, you're thinking of like the machine artillery, machine guns, bullets, weapons, brass knuckles, nunchucks. I don't know what you think of. But when I think of this is how I fight my battles, it's the posture of praise and worship. It's on my knees before the Lord saying, God, this is how I fight. It's arms held high to the heavens. And this, this is a fight that I don't fight with my fists. But it's a fight that I don't do myself. It's not a DIY thing when we're talking about spiritual war, warfare. It's a fight that I need help for. And I thank God that he's given us everything that we need. But back to the initial question, what's in your hand is a very practical question for us. What is in your hand doesn't speak to, oh, what are the spiritual gifts and what are all these things that God has deposited as, as you know, a result of following him. I'm talking about practically speaking. What is in your hand? This was a practical question. God saw something in Moses' hand. It was a shepherd's staff. When he left Egypt, Moses became a shepherd in Midian. He was a shepherd, so he had a shepherd's staff. 
This is what he used to take care of the sheep, right? It's nothing glorious. It's nothing monumental. It's just a shepherd's staff. It's a stick that he used to help him walk, but also to hook the neck of the sheep and keep them close at bay or out of danger off a cliff. You know, when we think, oh, God's calling me, some of us think, I'm not qualified, and maybe we're not. I get it. I know that. But I think we make it too grandiose, and as a result, we think I'm not good enough. When God just says, listen, I want you for who you are, not for who you think you need to be for me to use you. I want you to hear it. Don't think, well, if I need to start speaking in tongues more for God to be able to use me more. No, you need to be more available, and God will fill you and use you. You have to understand, a lot of times we think God is chasing the golden star, the person who's perfect, the person who's got it all together, the person who has a beautiful voice, the person who's confident. I'm telling you what, you know what the Bible says of Moses? He was the most humble and meek person in all the land in his day and age. God wasn't looking for a superstar. God was looking for a somebody. And God found him. And Moses had every excuse. Listen, I hope that there are no superstars at Weston. The only star is Jesus. And may we never aspire to reach higher than the feet of Jesus. It's a posture of humility, but humility is attractive to God. God looks for humility in us. Why? Because he can use us, and then he gets the glory out of us. That's how it happens. And so... What is in your hand is the question God asked Moses very practically. Don't try to come up with a bag of tricks to show God this is my answer. What practically speaking is in your hands today? Allow God to use you because he wants to. Whatever is in your hand might seem common, but placed in God's hand, I believe it's the key to unleash heaven on earth. Thank you for the one solid amen, and there are a few kind of unsures, right? It's okay. I want you to understand. Don't just say amen. I want you to process the word of God this morning. Vocal talent is not just meant to entertain. It's meant to release the sound of heaven on earth. Pounding on the drums, this is something I do. Pounding on the drums is more than just noise. It's declaring, this is how I fight my battles. When I hit the drums, sometimes I replace Luke, who faithfully plays every Sunday. Um, but, but this is my warfare room right here. I'm glad there's a cage. I'm in a fish tank here because this is how I fight my battles. When I beat the drums, it's, it's my worship to God. It's calling down the presence of heaven. Parents, you're not just raising kids, but you're raising an army of young warriors for Christ. Understand there's a difference and he, here's what we need to do. Marsha, get ready. I'm going to call you now. Here's what we need to do. We need to take what's in our hand and we're going to yield it to God. We're going to take what's in our hand because God's asking us practically what's in your hand and we're going to yield it to God. What does yield mean? Surrender. We're going to give it to God to use. Today, Marsha has a testimony. And guess what? A testimony is not something that you hold on to. A testimony is something that you have to share. 
and let go so other people can be encouraged that faith would rise in our hearts to believe God. If he could do it for Marsha, he could do it for you. So Marsha, would you come? Could we welcome Marsha as she comes to give her testimony? And um, God gets the glory. You know, if you think that this is easy, it's not. Um, you know, spoiler alert, Marsha, I get the stomach butterflies every Sunday when I have to stand up and preach. I told my wife, I said, I, I can tell I'm preaching this morning because I feel the tight stomach and all of that. Um, I know that what you're going to do is going to bless people today as you share what God has done, the journey you've been on. Um, it's not just for you. God gets the glory as you yield your testimony to him for the, this purpose to share. So God bless you as you share. Good morning, everyone. My name is Marsha. I'm really nervous. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> I have a testimony I'd like to share. But before I share, I would like to first give thanks to God, all the glory and all the praise for what he has done in my life. So on April 9, 2019, it was the most difficult time in my life. My life could have ended this day, but God had a purpose for me. It all started with a high fever, chills, lack of appetite. I had believed that this was a, like an everyday symptom. Little did I know that it was something more serious. On April 11, 2019, my husband rushed me to the hospital. My symptoms were getting worse. I was getting so cold that I would start shaking. At the same time I would start shaking, I felt like I couldn't breathe. As we got to the hospital, I couldn't see clearly in front of me. There, everyone looked like there were two people. Right away I got admitted, and that's where they ran tests, lots of tests. The doctors had told my husband that if he had waited any longer to bring me to the hospital, he could have lost me. I was dehydrated, my kidneys were so dry and in bad shape. The blood test came back that I had a blood infection called sepsis. My blood pressure was in the 60 range and it wouldn't go up. Every 30 minutes, they were checking my blood pressure. One of the tests, they were seeing something, but they were not sure what it was. They said it looked very unusual and that the test came back that I had a 10 centimeter mass. Later the day, the doctor came to update me. She said, it looks like some sort of cancer, but we're not sure. I have to admit, it was very hard hearing the doctor say that. They believe that for it to be cancerous, especially after being diagnosed with sepsis. I started talking to God. I said, Lord, you said in your word to be strong and courageous and not to be afraid or terrified. Because of them, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Deuteronomy 31.6. On Easter Sunday, Pastor John came to visit me after church. He had brought communion for us to take. Following communion, Pastor John prayed with my husband and myself. Two weeks later, I was released from hospital. One of the doctors from the hospital referred me to an oncologist at Princess Margaret Hospital, since they were not sure what they were up against. The doctor at Princess Margaret Hospital's words were, we're, we're going to remove your uterus, your womb, your ovaries, and all nine lymph nodes. Then we may have to reconstruct the bowel. It depends if the cancer had spread. My oncologist sent me to do most of the tests all over again, plus different types of blood work. Two weeks later, I was called back to the hospital for my results. For some reason, I felt like this would be a fight, a fighting battle between me and the enemy. I knew what 
I knew that whatever the doctor had to say to me, I had to be prepared for it. My doctor's words were, the MRI showed a 10 centimeter mass in your abdominal. We have never seen anything like this before. It's very concerning. The cancer blood work I did, the number had gone up a bit, so the doctor said that what she believed I had was ovarian cancer. From this day, from that test that we have done so far, she said that the MRI also showed I had nine lymph nodes swollen since the last test. The doctor also said that they would have to reconstruct the bowel and I would wake up with a bag attached to me. They also said that the bag was the chemo bag and that I would, so the next, that same day I called my aunt, she's a pastor. I explained to her everything the doctor said. She told me not to worry and she said to let the doctor say whatever they need to. Not, um, let the doctor say whatever they need to. She also told me that they would go inside on the surgery day and they will not find anything. She assured me that everything was gonna be okay. She also said that I would be living testimonies to others and that my testimony would change others' life and bring them to Jesus. <clears throat> I was updating Pastor John what was happening. I was so grateful for all the prayers of Weston Road Church had going for me. At this point, I was trying my best to be strong. <clears throat> um, my surgery was set for Wednesday, June 5th. day of the surgery, I, I called my aunt again on the day of the surgery. She started praying for me as soon as I told her I was going. Plus, she had her church praying for me. Plus, I also knew that Weston Road was praying for me. Pastor John was on a fast that day. Family members were also fasting as well. My aunt gave me a Bible verse to read. It was John 19, 28, 30, where Jesus' last words before he died on the cross was, it was finished. My aunt told me to keep saying that scripture to myself. I also had a powerful scripture in mind, Matthew 17, 20, which it says, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain move and from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible. The morning of the surgery, I felt brave and ready to go get this over with. I prayed and walked into the hospital with my faith and believing that God was going to be with me through my entire surgery. My surgery was nine hours long. So far, so before they took me in surgery, the nurse was starting to tell me what they were going to do and started talking about everything the doctor already told me. That was fine, I was ready. They took me in surgery and began the surgery. The doctor came out, after surgery, the doctor came out and told my husband the great news that out of the nine lymph nodes that they only had to remove one, and they removed the mass, and the biggest, greatest news, they found no cancer. <clears throat> At that point, my husband had mentioned to me that when the doctor gave him the great news, that he got down on his knees and lifted his hands to heaven. And he said, thank you, Jesus. 
and gave the doctors a big hug. The doctor said <clears throat> they sent the lymph notes and mass for testing. Thank you. And it came back negative. I had no idea what was happening. I was in the recovery room and all I could think about was that scripture my aunt had told me to keep saying, it is finished. <sighs> the doctor was so amazed by my recovery every day that the doctors came to see, see me every day and day by day things were getting better. I was up and walking the same day after surgery and they released me from hospital five days later. I just want to take the time to thank people of Western Road Church for all your prayers. I'm very happy to be such, to be such a part of such a supportive congregation. So many people reached out to me during this time. I'm also, I also want to say if there is anyone that has been diagnosed with any type of illness, remember, God can do the same thing for you like he did for me. I heard of many people that has been diagnosed with terminal illness and God has delivered them from it. Just believe and have faith. From my experience, sometimes I know it can be very difficult, but having the faith and believing, you get your reward in the end, your miracle. Thank you, God bless you all. Can we say amen? Amen. Marsha, thank you for sharing. You did well. You gave God the glory he deserves. Come on. God is a good God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I remember the journey. And uh, I'm glad that you mentioned what Kumar did. Because even after communion, like, you, you want to say I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Kumar, he told me on the phone, he goes, I didn't care. The doctor just it was standing right in front of me. I got down on my knees, and I just started saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Doctors, they thought you were crazy. I know. You told me. But listen, we need to be crazier than the doctors think we are for him. <laughs> Tahila praise. We give God the glory. I pray that, you know, I almost feel like I don't need to finish the sermon because God got the glory and faith is, is stirring in our hearts. But I just want to bring this home for us today. You know, we're talking about what's in your hand. And Marsha has a story now. You know, my sister losing their baby, they have something that they never had before. Yes, pain and sadness, but there's a testimony now that they can share with other people. And in it, God is still good. God is still good. And God is still God. And so when we look at Moses now, see, Marsha was willing. Did it take all that she had within her to get up here and share it? You bet. Moses, he, he, he struggled too. And Moses, he was saying, but Lord, is, is there any other way? And let me look at it. Let's look at a few more verses. Exodus 4, verse 13. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. So though God was calling Moses in a specific way for a specific thing, he was trying to pass the responsibility on, saying, ah, isn't there anyone else? And then finally, he understands that this is what God has called him to do. In Exodus 4.17, God says to him, now everything's kind of wrapped up from that whole encounter at the burning bush. He's ready to go. And God tells him this one instruction, verse 17 of Exodus 4. And take your shepherd's staff with you. 
and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. If you read now through the, the chapters leading up to our chapter that we have read together, Exodus 17, you see that time and again, he took the staff in his hand, stretched it over the water, it turned to blood. He stretched it to the sky, the locusts came. And time and time again, God used what was in his hand. Though it was a, a stick, merely a stick, God was able to use it. And for Moses, he knew that this was something meaningful. Why? Because God said, take it with you. Take it with you. And what's interesting is as we look back to our text, Exodus chapter 17, there's a battle that's taking place. In verse 8, it tells us that they're in Rephidim. Rephidim is resting place. You know, when you're in a resting place, you're not really thinking about fighting a battle, right? You're thinking about rest, relaxation. I know because I'm coming off of two weeks of being away. You know, relaxation. You're, you're not really in fighting mode. You're in a relaxing mode. And when they're here in Rephidim, they're relaxing. But the Amalekites are showing up and ready for battle. And this is the context of the story that we read. Uh, they are attacked by the Amalekites. And so you could be in a resting season or a resting period during the summer break. But, but war could be breaking out as well in your life. I don't know. You could sense an attack perhaps. Maybe you have been attacked spiritually. But verse 9, Moses gives specific instructions. So he's saying to Joshua, get your troops ready to go. And then he says that I will stand at the top of the hill. And what does he say? Holding the staff of God in my hand. So God asks him, what's in your hand? Oh, it's just my shepherd's staff. But the very thing that was just ordinary and common, now he's saying, I'm going to go. But he recognizes his perspective has changed. And he says, it's no longer my shepherd's staff, but this is the staff of God. When you take what's in your hand and you yield it to God, your perspective changes. It's no longer my money it's God's money. Lord, what do, you want, what do you want me to be generous with this month, this week? Lord, what you've put in my hand, my perspective is different now. It's not mine. I've yielded it. I've surrendered it to you. Mike, I remember Matt, the first time when you had the pickup truck, he told me, he's like, this is God's truck. God gets the glory. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'm going to use it. If people need a ride to church, I'm just going gonna, gonna to use the truck. And, and that's why I got a big truck. Even though I'm alone, I'm gonna, I have a big truck. And, and I, I feel like a lot of times, you know, we get excited because God wants to use what's in our hands. But we think it's for us. But what God has put in our hands, it's for other people as well. Can somebody say amen if you understand that this morning? So when you yield what's in your hand to God, your perspective changes. You know... The Bible says when you do something unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So God, it's like I'm doing something for someone, but I'm actually doing it as unto the Lord. I'm serving well at work. You know, I'm not the boss. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to climb the corporate ladder perhaps, let's say, right? But I'm working well, even though I don't like my boss, perhaps. But I'm doing it as unto the Lord. When you yield what's in your hand to God, guess what? 
he has an opportunity to bless it and multiply it. But when we're stingy and when we view it as it's only for me, that's as far as the blessing will go. And so I want you to know that as God looks at what's in your hand, he's more concerned about you putting it in his hands. Right? So number one, identify, ask, and respond to God. This is what I feel is in my hand. This is what I feel you've given me in this life. But God, I'm putting it now in your hands that you can do whatever you want. See, that's why a testimony, yeah, I made it. Woohoo, right? No. Now she puts it in God's hands. Lord, use me and use my story however you want. It's not just money. It's not about a truck. It's not about a house. It's not about uh, only temporal things. But it's even about those things especially which are eternal that God wants to use you for. And so Moses now recognizes this used to be the shepherd's staff that I took care of sheep. But now I see it as God's staff because his power is made known through this ordinary object in my hand. And that's how God's power works in your life. We are ordinary, but he is extraordinary in us and through us. And so this staff of God, it's the staff of God. So verse 10, Joshua does his part. Moses and Aaron and Hur take their position at the top of the hill. And by the way, Hur is not like a female. His name is Hur, H-U-R. Aaron is Moses' brother, actually, in case you didn't know. So they're going up the hill. And verse 11 tells us, as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. If you look through the track record of the staff in Moses' hand, that would be expected, right? This is what God used to show his power for, towards his people. But as his hands dropped, because they would get heavy and tired, the Amalekites then would get the advantage in the war that was taking place in the valley of Rephidim. Verse 12 tells us his arms got so tired that he could not hold them up anymore. And it's not rocket science. We already read the story. But Aaron and Hur find a stone and they say, Moses, sit down. Sit down on the stone. His arms he couldn't hold them up. So that means that they're losing the battle down below that they could see from, from their vantage point. And they hold up, one on each side. As he's holding up the staff of God. And verse 13 tells us the results of all of this. That they see Joshua overwhelms the army of the Amalekites and wins the battle. Not just by, a skin, by the skin of their teeth, but he overwhelms the army of the Amalekites. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, yes. But what happens when you get tired? You get weak. Your faith is not where it probably needs to be when you're tired, when you're maybe tired of the battle, tired of raising your hands, right? Because this is how I fight my battles. Your arms can get tired. So then the question is, is this a DIY moment where I need to do it myself? Or is this a double DIY? Don't do it yourself, Jonathan. You need the help of other people. You need the help of your brothers and sisters. Did you notice in Marcia's testimony, I didn't... I didn't uh, edit her copy so that she would say the right things. I actually, my wife said, did you uh, read her testimony? I said, no, I know what God has done and I believe that she's going to share it as it happened. And she did. But did you see how she said, thank you for the church's prayers, that there were people fasting and praying? 
for her victory, for her breakthrough. There are things that you need to do. Moses, I'm calling you to lead my people. That he can only do because God specifically called him. But what did he need help for? To hold up the staff of God in his arms. And there are things and moments in life where it is more appropriate to do it with people than to try to do it on your own. This is the word that God put on my heart for us today. That there are people here that you are equipped to win the battle. You are. Why? Moses was equipped to win the battle, but he, he could have lost it if his arms stayed down. You see, you can have the right tools to win. And I believe God has equipped us as his people to win. Why? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. So I know I'm on the winning side and I have the power of his spirit inside of me. But sometimes I just can't do it. I'm not designed to do this thing on my own. And I need people to come around me and to hold up my arms. Spiritually speaking, you might be here today and you're losing the battle. You have, don't, don't get mad at God. My question is, are you trying to do it on your own strength? There are moments where you do it yourself. And I believe there is an appropriate time when you need the help of others. You know, that's why we have the help of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? God gave us the Holy Spirit so that as the comforter to point us to truth, all of that. But also as his uh, spirit of adoption that we are his sons and daughters. That Jesus said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. But for some of us, we think it's me and Jesus, me and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take it one step further. What about us? What about the church? God designed the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Now, when we say that, does anyone just picture one individual person? Jesus said, I will build my church. When, we th when I think of that, it's the vast army of believers on the earth. When I, that's what I think of. It's a vast army. It's not a, a person flying solo for their whole life. But yet some of us live like that. And it's like, I'm going to do this with Jesus. I don't need anyone. I'm not going to tell anyone. No, I, I want to say that we have to invite people in. Uh, am I saying everybody? No. But I'm saying that, there, that you have to find a network of people that you can open up to that you can invite in on the journey with you, that will come alongside of you, not, not judge, but hold your hands up. Not judge and say, well, that was stupid, don't do that next time. But they will come and surround you wherever you are, and they will lift your hands up so that we can see the victory, the overwhelming victory, and the battle will be won in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the worship team to quickly come back up as we get ready to close you can be equipped to win the battle, but still lose it. Why? Because you're trying to do it alone when God said, I gave you a family, a church family. I gave you people around you, but you're not calling on them. You're not asking them to come and help and hold your hands up high. There are things God calls you to do uniquely, and there are things he calls you to do in community. Things that God calls you to do uniquely, but there are things he calls you to do in community. Listen, you could have the best vantage point. They were up on the mountaintop. Why? So they could see. They, were, they went up high to have a good vantage point. But that doesn't guarantee you success. Being fully equipped also doesn't necessarily guarantee you the success. 
You can have all the right components for success and still fail. But I want to come back to this point that I started with. God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. But God will do for you what you can't do for yourself. How does God do it in our lives? Oftentimes it's through people. Oftentimes it's through people coming around you, praying with you. And I've asked the worship team to come. But I believe that as we close this morning, there are people fighting battles alone that God never asked you to fight alone. But you need the help of your, your comrades, your, your Christian family that is here today. I'm going to invite us to stand to our feet this morning. And if you are here and you need prayer, I'm not here to, to nitpick and to say, oh, you shouldn't have done that and here's why. And No, we are just simply wanting to come around you to, to help lift your hands and to lift you up in prayer. I'm going to invite you to come to these altars if you want to receive prayer today. And we're going to stand together and we're going to believe God together as the worship team comes to minister uh, uh, and just lead us in a song. I'm going to say, come, don't delay. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to twist arms. But if you're here within the sound of my voice, you've been fighting alone, but it's not a battle that God has asked you to fight. It's one that we are to surround you with in prayer. And then we're going to watch how God helps us win the battle. Arms held high. As we worship, I'm going to invite you, lift your hands to heaven. As our sign of surrender, we're yielding to God. Whatever we have in our hands, we yield it to Him. We yield it and say, God, take what's in my hands. Use it for your purpose. Use it for your purpose in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask that we, we're not dismissing quite yet because there's one more question I'm going to get to in a moment. But I just want to pray with these that have come in faith, believing. And how many of you know the battle is already won in Jesus' name? We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. And today he's here in a mighty way. He's here. He's here, church. Come on, let's press in a little more today. Let's press in a little more to the fullness of who God is today. Let's lay hold of who He is in our lives in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope listening to this week's sermon has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.